G'day, folks. Look, I know you're all back at work, and, and Paul and I are gearing up for a new season. We're going we're to try some new stuff this year, aren't That's we, That's right, season nine. But today we're going to dig back into season two, and it's something really interesting that you came up with, mate, about the gunpowder plot. The gunpowder plot, that's right. Yeah, yeah, everyone talks about the Catholics, but I wanted to talk about the Scots. Okay, folks, so here's the show. Heroes and howlers, and the rest is history. My name's Mikey Robbins. I'm a bit of a history nerd, but my mate Paul Wilson... Hi, everybody. Paul's a proper historian, all the way from Oxford. Thank you, Maggie. Okay, it's about those weird bits of history, the bizarre twists of fate. The cock-ups actually made the (laughs) stuff-ups that have made the world what it is today. Hello, folks, and so today we're going back to 1605. We're lighting the fuse. Ah, yeah. Remember, remember, the 5th of November. It's what what you Brits call, it's what we call crack night. And we we prefer to call bonfire night. But when I I was a young kid in England, it was still called Guy Fawkes night. That's right, Guy Fawkes, the gunpowder plot, probably the most infamous attempt to blow up any building in the world. And, of course, we're talking about the Houses of Parliament. But, okay. Today's episode is about the background yep. and, and also, too, you've got a good theory on this. Right. And yeah, so why on earth was these people trying to blow up the House of Parliament? Of course, it was because they were, their main aim was to assassinate the new King of England, the new King James I. Now, before we get into religion and politics with yep. James I, that's not the only reason not to like a bloke. That's true. He was a weirdo. He was a little bit strange. He was a little bit strange. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, even his mates, I must admit, if they called him the, the wisest fool in Christendom. Yeah. He was, uh, seriously, the royal portrait painters had a tough job with this guy because, <laughs> I mean, he looks pretty ugly in the paintings. Yeah. He was even uglier than that. That's also, true. too, he did because he had, a, he had a slight congenital dribbling problem. That's right. And he stank. Yes. No, no, no. Honestly, he stank. Yes. Um, there, are, there are stories of him when, it, when he was hunting in the <laughs> royal parks. He was obsessed with hunting. Yeah. But he would not stop the horse and get off the saddle to go to the bathroom. Oh, right. I'm talking ones and twos. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Didn't, and, and, and I the, didn't know. Yeah, yeah. no. But, and, and then when they'd bring down the stag, mate. Go on. Oh, he'd stick his hands in the guts. In fact, he he wore the same he wore the same hat to bed every night until <laughs> his wife told him it stank. Even the ones he'd been hunting with the... He's a stinky bugger. Also, too, he was a bit crazy on the occult, wasn't he? To be honest, Mikey, yeah. Yeah, most people, it's true, didn't really like him. Because, of course, the Scots, you know, they already hated him. Um, they'd, they'd, they'd murdered his father. You know, oh, Lord Darnley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The English, yeah, we, well, they hated him. They'd murdered his, executed his mother, you know, Mary Queen of Scots. Yeah, and then within the next 30 years, they're going to be going to civil war so they can cut the head off his son, you know, yeah, Charles I, right? Because you've got to remember, Mike, yeah. and this is the important part, you know, we're talking about the first time ever that a Scotsman has been king of England. Yeah, for the, the previous 500 years, England and Scotland have basically been at war virtually the whole time. Right? Well, so that, goes yeah. back to, that goes back to Roman times. Well, exactly, yeah, the Picts and the Martyrs, yeah. right? But, um, you yeah, know, Act of Union is still a long way off, 1707. Queen Anne! Queen Anne, that's very good. Well done, mate. She was the first. I thought I'd impress you with that one. That was very good. Queen Anne, the first queen of uh, of both after the Act of Union. Whereas James I, he was still known as James I in England, but James VI in Scotland, right? And the, as you can imagine, that caused a few problems here. But, but, but you have to remember, he comes to the throne after Elizabeth dies. That's right. So there's been some pretty turbulent times already. Yeah, we're, huh. we're talking the end of the Tudors. Yeah, you've huh. had things like the Essex Rebellion. Yeah, Liz is not getting any younger. You right. know, and yeah, they call her the Virgin Queen. She, she may not have died a virgin, but she certainly died without any children. She didn't have any kids. Um, and the thing about James is 
it wasn't because he was a great king in Scotland. It was more that, yeah, basically he was the last man standing. Because yeah. Mary, Queen of Scots. Yeah. Now, I'm, I've got the lineage here. Her grandmother yes. was a Tudor. That's right, Margaret Tudor, yeah, who's the sister of Henry VIII. And weirdly, mm. that is also the grandmother of Lord Darnley who is James's father. So, so there's a little bit of inbreeding going yeah, on. Yeah, I see. So basically, his mum and dad were essentially first cousins, which is probably you know, yeah. where the dribbling comes yeah, in. Mate, I'm, yeah. Yeah, look, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. Just Susan for the Crown, episode eight. Yeah, exactly, right. So James, yeah. the thing is, though, although no one really liked him, yeah. everyone thought it might be quite useful because he, he comes to the throne in Scotland as a, ch- as a child, right? So, yeah. so the Scottish nobles and the Scottish lords, they think, well, maybe we can control this little boy because we'll get rid of Mary, Queen of Scots, you know, the devout Catholic, we'll make her abdicate, we'll make her flee be- to France. Because unlike his mum, James I is a proddy. Well, he's not, but he's, he's, not- b- he's brought up a Protestant. Oh. So, but basically, he's born a Catholic, right. his mum's a Catholic, his dad's a Catholic, but yeah, these, these lords, See, they... they, they they gloss, take a, they gloss over that bit at school. Well, that's it. And then they, when he comes in down to England, now he's, he's, he's a grown man now. But again, the English lords yeah, and the nobles and the, the, the House of Lords, they think, well, hang on. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you be our king, but there's going to be a bit of training going on here. Yeah, They're going to get some conditions attached. They've had Elizabeth for 40 years. Yeah, they've had enough of being under the thumb. Yeah. And like I said, there's been rebellions, been rebellions, there's been a lot of unrest. So they see it as an opportunity for them to sort of basically take control and put everything back together. Because she has the heart and stomach of a king. <laughs> she used to keep them in the cupboard out the back. <laughs> so here we are, folks. We're in 1605. So we've got the you know, probably favourite period in history, isn't it? The old Tudors and Stuarts. Uh, the the um, autumn of 1605. And England's got a problem. A problem so big, people are planning to blow up the Houses of Parliament and put a new monarch on the throne. You see, the inner circle, the King's Court in England, they are saying that, look, Cousin James has come down from Scotland, they're painting this nice picture for smooth transition. But really, mm. you know, on the ground, if you talk to any of the commoners, you know, there's a lot of resistance because, you know, like I said, for the last five, 500 years, yeah. these guys have been fighting tooth and nail against the Scots. So- I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, let's face it, you know, England at war with Scotland has given us at least three movies we don't need. <laughs> and you know, it's not just the common man who's against him, also the nobles, because James has come down not just on his own, but right. he's brought his old... Scottish entourage with him, right? All these guys who've been looking after him in Scotland. And of course, he's had to give them lots of prime positions at court, which has put quite a few noses out of joint. And in fact, you have to remember too, there's a fine English tradition of new kings turning up with their entourage and ticking off whoever's there in residence at the time. Exactly, exactly. And so that brings us to the what, what we know is the, the gunpowder plot. <laughs> Okay, folks, we're in 1605. King James VI of Scotland is now sitting as King James I of England. A group of English conspirators, they've taken exception to this. They're dead set on blowing him and his government to kingdom come. And if the history books are to be believed, they're doing this in the name of the Catholic Church to rid the land of the Protestants and row back on the tide that has swept over England during the Reformation. But I know it's going to get more complex than that, isn't it? That's right. So we've got some, well, you, you know, the, the, probably a few of these people already, Mikey, but, but basically we're looking at five or six 
key players, key conspirators. In the gunpowder plot, well, first of all, you've got uh, Rob Catesby. Yeah, of course. Now, now he goes, but he, he his plotting goes back to the Essex Rebellion. Yeah, exactly. He's one of those guys who's already been, you know, causing problems for a few years now. Thomas Percy. That's right, yeah. John, also known as Jack Wright. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and you've got Tom Winter, you've got Rob Keyes, and of course, you've got Guy Fawkes. Guy Fawkes. Now, the thing that brings them all together is the fact that they're Catholic. Well, that's the whole point. That, yeah, that's always the story, right? This whole, because they're Catholics and they want to get rid of the Protestant king. But like, yeah, like I said, it might not just be quite as clear as it all seems on the book cover. Oh, cool. Right? So I'm liking this. This is, this is a bit of intrigue. Okay, so we need to go back about 18 months. We need to go back to 1604 because that's when these guys first get together. And Catesby, he's basically the leader. Um, but like I said, he's already been involved in the Essex Rebellion. He's quite happily... Um, he's a plotter. He's a plotter, yeah. At, at a time when England is pretty rife with the guys who can plot. Exactly. So he he calls a meeting in the gloriously named Duck and Drake pub in London. I love the names you guys come up with, the pubs. <laughs> so we're in the, we're the Duck and Drake. The Duck and Drake. We're in the Duck and Drake. And it's, uh, they decide to rent a house opposite the House of Lords and dig a tunnel underneath the street across to the House of Lords and then hoping that they'll dig a tunnel, they'll stick all their gunpowder in this tunnel and blow up the house of Parliament. Hang on, what I remember this, they start in about March. That's right. And the idea is that they're going to tunnel through to May because in May that's when... That's when they're going to open the house of the Parliament. That's going to be opening so many. But, what? yeah, basically, funnily enough, yeah, tunnels, yeah, there's no um, Euro tunnel in those days. They're no. not, not very good at tunnelling in those days. So that, that first plan doesn't even get off the ground, uh, or doesn't even get under the ground, to well, be honest. Well, I'm actually too, but, but don't they also postpone the opening of Parliament? But, and here's something that we'll know of. This will sound quite familiar to us, folks. Right, well, so, so what happens is, well, first of all, in 1605, they say, forget about the Duck and Drake, forget about the house opposite, we need to be a bit closer to the action. So, right. And then, and the guy that you mentioned earlier, Tom Percy, now he is part of the Percy family, which is the great Northumberland, yeah. very famous They've family. They've one of the most powerful families. Yeah, very, and so he uses his connections so that he can hire one of the rooms directly underneath the House of Lords, the, the Undercroft. And he just says, oh, I'm going to be, you know, stocking a few, I don't know, suits of armour, whatever it is. Wine barrels. Wine barrels, well, so, so, uh, keep it cool, you know. So basically, if you're like a very powerful member of the, you know, of, of the British aristocracy, you could rent storage space storage under space. the House of Lords. Yeah. Forget Metro storage, Maggie. Yeah, so these guys, they go straight underneath the House of Lords and they start bringing down all their gunpowder. But as you say, there's a few problems because suddenly there's a plague. Yeah, the plague's back in town, which is very prevalent at the time, of course. And dare I say that they went into lockdown. <laughs> Exactly. No one's allowed to move around. Yeah, yeah. And they all got to get the QR code to get in, <laughs> in the well, undercroft. Maybe not, but, but but yeah, let's face it, things haven't changed that much. That's right. London shuts down. They shut down, and Parliament's closed, and so the big opening ceremony is cancelled. Then, yeah, just when it looks like everything's going to get back back on on track, suddenly they get a very very wet late summer, and um, which, as you know, does rain a little bit in England. Yeah, particularly um, in summer. And, and, uh, so and that rain ruins, gets underneath the House of Lords and, and soaks through all their gunpowder. Yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but water and gunpowder, not a good mix. Not a good mix, Particularly exactly. if you're trying to blow up the House, House of Parliament. So we're now, like, for 16 months, these guys have been organising this plot. And, it, yeah, literally, they haven't, haven't, got, haven't even got further than when they started. Right. So, funnily enough, or... Perhaps not so surprisingly, some of the guys get cold feet and drop out, 
and suddenly they need to get in some new members to keep you know keep a bit of momentum, keep everything going. So they get... <sighs> now this is where it gets interesting because they bring in someone, don't they? That's right. This is where they bring in a guy called Francis Tresham. Now he goes back to the Essex Rebellion. Right. He's a mate of Catesby's in the old days. Right. Again, another plotter, another rebel. You know, yeah. very happy. Doesn't care who he's rebelling against. Um, it's one of those blokes. Yeah, one of those guys. And so eventually. With on the fourth of November, sixteen oh five, they mm. ha- finally actually have got all their ducks in a row, and they've got thirty six barrels of gunpowder, and they've got it under the undercroft. It's dry. It's not raining. There's no plagues. There's no rats, and they're ready to blow up the House of the Parliament. But yeah, old this Tresham guy. Now the problem is. He has sent an anonymous letter, um, but everyone I think knew everyone it's from, knows it's from him. him. Back in the end of October, because he's got a brother-in-law um, who's a Catholic noble called Lord Monteagle, and he said to him, "Look, don't attend the opening of Parliament because you know, you don't Bad want to be thing, there." But you, you, you just, yeah. that, he doesn't lay it out, but he sends him an note saying, "Look, yeah, he, just please don't attend," and, he, that, that, and they leaves it at that. Now, he must have been very fond of his brother-in-law. That's it. And so, because Monteagle is a Catholic, that's one of the reasons why it's always been thought of as a Catholic conspiracy. But Monteagle immediately goes to the king, goes to the court, to Robert Cecil, who's the Earl of Salisbury, the chief king minister, uh, chief minister. And he says, look, I've got this letter. What do you want to do about it? So that's that's a really important point because this guy's a Catholic, but he's the bloke that passes on the note. Right. So he's, yeah, so it just goes to show it's not everything as, as clear cut as you imagine. And one of the weird things is now Robert Cecil, he gets the note and he says to James, don't worry, we'll just keep on going ahead as planned. Why? Well... <laughs> Because they want to catch the guys in the act, right? Yeah, so they're, they're, they're like, let's pretend we don't know anything. Oh, this is, this is real spy master stuff. But really, exactly, really, we know what we're doing. So they, they get ready to catch the conspirators. But now, through all these Chinese whispers, huh. now the conspirators have heard that the court have heard that the conspirators are <laughs> yeah, doing something that the court... Had, yeah, so everyone sort of knows about... So it. everyone's on edge. Everyone's on edge. But they said, look, look, forget about it. Let's just do it anyway. Guy Fawkes is in the... He's in the undercroft. He's got all his gunpowder. He's 36 barrels. 36 barrels hidden under, you know, basically a big wood pile. Right. And he's sitting there with his spurs on, you know, because obviously he's going to get out of there as quickly as he can as soon as you light the fuse, uh, oh, yeah. jump on his horse and... Right for the hills. So right? he's got a horse waiting for him, right? Exactly. So he's there singing. And that's when the two official royal officials, Sir Thomas Nivert and uh, Edward Doubleday, I think was the, the other guy. Oh, yeah. That's when they do, because they sort of know something's up. So they're being told, you need to do a swoop yeah. of the House of Parliament, right. check everything's okay. And that was supposed to be when they found him. But they come down, and this is the a bit <laughs> no one quite knows for sure but basically it looks like they come down they say hello what's your name and he goes oh uh, I'm John Johnson you go oh okay and what are you doing oh just you know stacking this wood here in my undercroft and they go away <laughs> so they leave him to it the, 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 even though the, they know there's a conspiracy to blow up the House of Parliament they so, just, so they, they just walk they see, off they see the guy with his spurs and the wood and the matches <laughs> and they go that's alright we'll just go we'll go back upstairs was it the spurs that eventually ended up being the giveaway could have been it could have been because they certainly they, when they got to the top of the stairs they thought hang on, hang on. maybe we need to have one more look so they've got to have a chat to Captain Spurs yeah they come back down they say uh, what exactly is underneath that firewood of yours Mr. Mr. Johnson and of course it's 36 
barrels of gunpowder and, and the rest is history. Yeah, but it's not the end of our story. That's right. But before we go, you have to remember, when you talk about 36 barrels of gunpowder, mm. if, if they'd have actually lit the torch on this, oh, it, that it, would have been the biggest, the worst terrorist plot ever in, the, you know, in, in, British, in history. British history. It would have killed the king, would have killed the queen, or the lords. Yeah, everyone would have gone up in one big bang. Right? But... I think what's the key, yeah, well, what interests me, what we were saying before, yeah, is, is a, essentially a Catholic plot. All the movies I've seen about it, all the books I've read at school, it's about the Catholic plot to kill King James. The thing is, Mikey, the Catholics, as we've seen, there, there's definitely ambivalence in the air. Yeah, right. yeah, uh, Monteagle has already uh, told the king about the, the potential plot. And yeah, he's a Catholic. And he's a Catholic, yeah. You've got the Jesuits like Henry Garnet. Yeah, sure, they're not very chuffed with James I, but even they, any involvement they've had is to say, don't do it. Yeah, we, we, we don't need any more unrest at this stage in the game. Can I go out on a limb here? Yeah. A lot of these Catholic nobles would have sort of learned how to get along with things under the reign of Elizabeth I. Well, that's it. And James, yeah, when he comes to the, the throne, yeah, he tells people like the Earl of Northumberland, yeah, don't worry. And yeah, this is a quote, no Catholics will be persecuted that will be quiet and give but an outward obedience to the law. Oh, so basically that? he's saying, you know, as long as you play the game, yeah. no one's going to get persecuted. It's yeah. all fine. Fish on a Friday, do what you want. Just don't, <laughs> just don't hassle me. That's right. And yeah, don't forget, yeah, James, his wife, you know, Anne of Denmark, she's a Catholic. Yep. Yeah, yeah. He seeks Catholic queens and, and princesses to marry his, first of all, his son Henry, who then dies. And then he gets Henrietta Maria, the French princess, to marry his son Charles. In fact, and Henrietta Maria... Charles, she was a very devout Catholic. That's right. Yeah, and to say to say that James is anti-Catholic, yeah, is, is pushing the pushing the bar pretty pretty far, I reckon. So yeah, a lot of people say if there's one faction, religious faction, he really doesn't like, it's the Puritans. Yeah, who, who were devoutly Protestant. That's right, and they're back up in Scotland. He he never he never sets foot back in Scotland once he comes down to England. That's how much he's yeah he's had enough of John Knox and all those guys and the Puritan Bible up there. I'll say why don't Scottish Puritans believe in in sex? I think it might lead to dancing. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, right. The real reason uh, why this is this is your theory, but I'm, I'm going to back you on it's this. An, it's an idea. Look, that's a good one. It's something that I want to put out there because I think it's true to say that in the early 17th century, 1603, 4, 5, the first few years of James's reign, yeah, there was as much anti-Scottish sentiment right. amongst the common populace, and of course amongst the gentrymen. You know, they, they've. They've seen their jobs and their positions at court go to their Scottish rivals. Yeah, they have got a real axe to grind. And Guy Fawkes, I think, epitomises this because, you know, we've now been told it's Guido Fawkes. You know, a lot of people think that he was Spanish. The Guy Fawkes was a Yorkshireman. Right. Yeah, he was a good Yorkshire lad, brought up Protestant. Um, yes, okay, he does he, go... He, he did fight with the Spanish. He, fight, he fought with the Spanish against the Dutch, converts to Catholicism when he comes of age, but he had been brought up a Protestant. And his alias that he calls himself is John Johnson. You don't get more English than that, right? He must have been up all night thinking of that one. <laughs> I will be John Johnson. Yeah, exactly. So my question is, what was really driving these guys to overthrow their king and blow up the House of the Parliament? Was it because they were Catholic fanatics? Right, yeah. Were they all raving papists who wanted to wipe out Protestantism? Or were they motivated by something else? Was there something else about James's reign they didn't like? So, so you're going back to this moment where Guy Fawkes is being, basically, he's, he's being given the third degree in the Parliament. Well, that's it. And, of course, the great thing about the House of Parliament in the UK is that we've got this amazing 
book called Hansard. Yeah, we've got it here. Uh, it's true, actually, you have got Hansard over there. Yeah. So you've got, this records every single thing that's said or happens in the building of the Houses of Parliament. And it, it's recorded from the night when he is arrested. They said, yeah, why have you done this? What, what have you tried? Why, why have you tried to kill the king? Yeah. And so he says... Guy Fawkes, the strapping Yorkshire lad. That's right. He says, in fact, he shouts, and it says in Hansard that he shouts, to blow you Scotch beggars back to your native mountains. So he mentions nothing about Catholics? That's right, yeah. Nothing about persecuted Catholics, you know, wanting to blow up a Protestant king. He shouts, I want to blow you Scotch beggars back to your native mountains mountains. But of course that's not what James wants to hear and it's not the message he and the Scottish contingent at court want being broadcast up and down the land. Rather, James's preferred narrative and of course we mentioned him already, the Robert Cecil, you know, William Cecil's son and who is now the William Cecil was the great uh, for those of you not to know, the, William Cecil and his son they are basically the spy masters of Britain going back into Elizabethan times. That's right, and they were, the, and they also, in my opinion, I think they were the, probably the first ever spin doctors. Yeah, they're the Malcolm Tuckers of their age because Cecil says to James, "Now look, if we take this guy Fawkes at his word and say he's after, he wants to blow you up to send you back to Scotland, right? You know, it's going to start. Everyone's going to be thinking, oh yeah, we don't like the Scots either. We don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I can see that. And suddenly you're fanning the flames of what is." already quite a widespread anti-Scottish sentiment and potentially provoking more unrest and rebellion. Right. Twist it on its head and say that Guy's Guido and he's Spanish and he's a foreigner and he's, and he's Catholic, Catholic and da-da-da. It's very easy to unite the common people against the common enemy. And let's face it, being suspicious of Spain is about as English as not having a fourth day at the cricket. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's harsh. Okay, so yes, exactly. So Cecil thinks this is the plan. We need a propaganda coup. Right. We need to blame it on the Spanish, blame it on the Catholics, blame it on the Jesuits, and blame it on the Pope. Just no one mentions Scotland <laughs> or the fact that Sassanacs don't like haggis. <laughs> right. I must mention here, folks, that Paul's wife is Scottish. <laughs> so this is not a theory he's come up with for the good of his health. Yeah, I'll probably be sleeping on the sofa for weeks. But to me, and, and I believe to Robert Cecil, James' chief advisor, it all made a lot of sense. And if you read about what happens in the aftermath, it does seem that Cecil starts to run with it. And he says to James, I'll tell you what we'll do. You know all those great bonfires that we have during the autumn? Let's make that into a bonfire. We'll call it Bonfire Night. Oh, so it goes from bonfire to bonfire. Bonfires to bonfires, exactly. And then we'll put a guy, a guy forks, an effigy, effigy on the top, and we'll put the Pope, an effigy of the Pope next to him, so they'll be burning the guy forks and the Pope. Whoa, 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 whoa. Seriously? Yeah, they'll, so, they'll burn those at the top of the bonfires. So the first guy forks bonfires next to Guy Fawkes with yeah. an effigy of the Pope. Effigies of the Pope, yeah. To, to, to ramp up the anti-Catholic sentiment. Exactly, yeah. Probably a couple of fireworks thrown in for good measure. Yeah. But yes, it's all about trying to concentrate their minds on these Spanish Catholic baddies and it's all their fault and it's certainly not the Scottish people's fault because they're all very nice just like our king. Wow! So James's plan, you know, and Cecil's plan works pretty well and in terms of propaganda, like we said, you know, they really are the, the master spitting doctors. They introduce, bring out the King James Bible, in English, don't forget, not Latin like the Catholic Bibles, or, or Scottish for that matter. It's all about him, James, embracing English. Clever. Yeah, yeah. And then Cecil persuades Shakespeare, yeah, England's favourite bard. Good old Bill. <laughs> he gets him to write 
Macbeth, which of course goes on to become the number one hit show in all the theatres. Ah, the Scottish play. The Scottish play. The Scottish play, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so to make yeah, to make everyone feel like they're one and united. Uh, all right. So in, in fact, they, you know, I'm going on a bit of a long bow here. Yeah. They actually drummed up this anti-Catholic sentiment as a way of creating a more united kingdom. Exactly. And that's that's the, that's my that's my thesis. And he's sticking like, to it. I am, I'm, I'm, and I'm going for it. So, yeah, look, in terms of the plot, sure. It's a cock-up, you know. Yeah. Don't forget, don't get me wrong, yeah, one of the great cock-ups that we'll be covering in this series. But what I'm interested about is what it reveals about you know, the English mentality, yeah, and, and particularly for modern day, of course. Yeah. Oh, well, let's face it, we've had one referendum about Scotland leaving. Well, that's it, you know. And look, yeah, I'm, I'll be the first to admit there's quite a few xenophobes in, in England, but uh, the irony in my book is that in 1605, for the gunpowder and treason plotters, the xenophobia was more likely anti-Scottish than anti-Spanish. Yeah, and of course, as you say, with another Scottish referendum in sight, it might not be long before the Scottish say, straight back out here. Bye-bye, Boris. <laughs> because don't forget, Mikey, as far as the Scottish nationalists are concerned, the present Queen... Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, the present Queen, who we call Liz II, uh-huh. for a number of Scots, she's still actually Queen Elizabeth I. Because there was no Scottish queens called Elizabeth before her. Oh, this is going to make watching the crown really difficult. Mm-hmm.